if you want to be the leader of many, you got to be faithful and loyal when the numbers are small. In order to build a large organization, you got to start at the grassroots levels when things are just getting started and things are small. And whenever we train somebody, we give them our everything. Being a great recruiter is taking care of a lot of people. You know, the reason why I love the job, I think a lot of people love the job when they were young, is good income, it's fun environment, it's good resume experience, and it's flexible. And I think all of that has just been kind of put on turbo boost with what we're doing right now. We're training a lot of good people and they're gonna be the best of the best. They're learning how to network and do business the way that the future is gonna do business. And we're teaching them and equipping them with things that they're gonna need now. And they're learning it very quickly. Because of what I believe Vector has done for me, I you know, wanna provide that to as many people as humanly possible. And my biggest why is to be a great leader and a great mentor, and then provide the example of that to the people I interact with, people I work with. And the other reason that I'm here is I just am having a lot of fun doing it. Trey Ketchum is a builder. He doesn't build structures of wood and steel and glass. Instead, he builds people with heart and drive and skills. For Trey, building is a noble pursuit, which begins with recruiting. Recruiting is about enrolling people in a vision for themselves and for the team. Recruiting requires skills of influence, and real influence happens when you truly have others' best interest in mind. If you are building something great in your life or your business, something that can truly benefit the people who get involved, it's vital to learn how to enroll others in your vision. You've gotta learn how to recruit. Put simply, Trey Ketchum is the greatest recruiter that the Cutco Vector organization has ever seen. He shares here the nobility of this pursuit, his strategies, his reasons, and the inspiration to build your team as big as you can possibly envision. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I have an awesome guest today, Mr. Trey Ketchum, the Greater Georgia Division Manager with Vector and Cutco. Trey's been in the business now since 2001. He was a college student at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Trey worked with Larry Manley for a while during those early days, the legend himself. He graduated from UNC in 2005 and became a district manager. And Trey had a rapid ascent to the position of division manager 
about 15 or 16 months after he opened up his office, he was promoted to run the Georgia division. And he has been there ever since, produced over $50 million in business, of course, a member of the company's Hall of Fame. And the reason I'm talking to Trey today in particular is because we are entering the peak recruiting season in Vector. And Trey is widely considered to be the single best recruiter in the company. Recruiting is about enrolling people in a vision. It's about having sales skills. And sales is about doing what's in the best interest of others. Trey has a great opportunity to offer. Trey has great skills in this area. He's the perfect person to talk about this subject, which we'll get to in great detail here today. So I'm excited to have you here today, Trey. Thanks for making time for the podcast. I appreciate you uh, having me on. It's kind of a crazy time, isn't it? It is a crazy time. And uh, you, along with many others, are positioned very nicely to make the most of this crazy time and to help the most people during this crazy time. That's really what recruiting is all about. I want to hear a little bit about how you got started in the Cutco Vector business. So take us back to 2001 and tell us your story. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that, you know, I guess what I'm known for is being a great recruiter. It kind of started as I was starting. You know, I wasn't even looking for a job at the time when, when I got the job. I actually was hanging out in my buddy Craig's basement uh, and his mom had yelled down the stairs to get a job. And uh, back then, uh, there you know, there was no social media. There wasn't the traditional means of, uh, of advertising. So it was a newspaper ad. And uh, the job classified section happened to be in the back of the sports section of the newspaper in Winston-Salem. And so uh, his mom yells down the stairs to get a job. And uh, the newspaper was sitting next to me. I opened it up. I said, Craig, here you go. Here's a job. Uh, let's call and find out what's going on. And he didn't want to call. He was too nervous <laughs> to call. So I said, hey, I'll call. And uh, and we'll see what's up. And I remember talking to a young lady named Amanda and uh, it was for a guy by the name of Matt King's office. And Amanda talked to me and told me a little bit about uh, what we did here. And I said, you know what? Um, my buddy Craig is kind of a little nervous to come in, but I'll come check it out. I got a job, but it can't hurt to see uh, what's out there. And so went in for the interview. Um, luckily, she was good at what she did, scheduled me same day. So I showed up to my interview and uh, you know, uh, cargo shorts, flip-flops, and uh, I thought I was wearing a polo shirt, but my manager, Matt, swears I wore a white t-shirt. So I guess fitting that that's what I'm wearing today. And so, uh, you know, he luckily didn't prejudge me. I got the position and uh, the rest is kind of history. So uh, it's kind of cool though. My wife actually found out about the job through a Facebook message and I found out about the job through a newspaper. So I guess it shows that uh, how much older I am than she is. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we were kind of cool that the two recruiting uh, trends of our eras were how we found out about, about the job and it was trying to help people. So one of my yeah. assistants was helping her to find a job through a Facebook message. And I found out about the job through trying to help a friend in a newspaper ad. Wow, that's cool. And you started with Matt King. So you have worked with two of the all-time company legends right there in your early days of your I, I career with Matt and with Larry. Like think of him as Dean Smith and Roy Williams. So <laughs> guess which one's older. So that sounds pretty good. Exactly. Exactly. Tell us about some of your key experiences and lessons from the early part of your career, Trey. I mean, the first thing I think was just that first vector summer. I think everybody remembers the first vector summer because everything's new and kind of exciting and challenging and uh, difficult all at the same time. I mean, I remember being nervous and uh, Matt King, to prove a point, made a phone call to one of my recommendations, pretending to be me, to give me confidence. And 
I saw him book the presentation right in front of me and that kind of woke me up and got me to kind of uh, quit being a wimp. And, uh, and so after that, I uh, got a lot better at the phone and then learned to love the phone. I started doing that uh, for people when I was a pilot sales manager with Larry and kind of learned from there. But that first Vector Summer taught me, you know, life skills of, you know, being self-driven, um, not having a no excuses mentality. I actually shared a car with my dad and my brother uh, that first summer. So I would wake up in the morning, drop him, drop my dad off at work. I would take the car to the gym, work out, stop by the office, make phone calls, do uh, three or four appointments a day, and then go pick up my dad again. And then he would drop me off at either my house or hang with some friends. And that was kind of a, my routine that I would do. So I learned how to not use uh, simple adversity to, to hold me back. Um, I learned uh, the ability to connect with people. I, I learned what it meant to, um, to have a great mentor uh, with Matt that first summer. And and that really uh, kind of helped me out tremendously. It was it was actually that that second summer going into I guess my third, where I ended up um, you know being promoted to be a division manager with Larry Manley. That I think probably uh, really was the most defining moment for me with Vector, which was uh, it was Christmas Eve. Um, I was 19 at the time, and um, you know my dad actually passed away um, then uh, right at Christmas Eve. So mm. uh, we were at church uh, Christmas Eve service and. Uh, my dad, uh, you know, he never made it to church. We didn't, we didn't see him. He was coming back from being out of town and, uh, we never, we never saw him. And so he, uh, ended up passing in the apartment that he was renting during the week. Um, and then he would commute home on the weekends to spend time with the family and my mom, because, you know, he was with Wachovia way back when, um, and they ended up getting, uh, bought by Wells or by first union bank, uh, took the Wachovia name. Um, and so he lost his position with them or, saw he wasn't going to move up with them. So he took a job with First Citizens Bank. And so he was commuting during the week and uh, when he, he didn't make it home. And so that was a, that was a tough Christmas. But I remember, uh, you know, the two calls that I made after obviously finding everything uh, were one to Matt King and, uh, and second was to Larry Manley, who was, who was the DVM. And uh, I let Larry know that I, I don't think I was going to be able to make it to that, that first day of training for his uh, winter break prep. And uh, of course, the way that they, the two of them reacted and showed me love and compassion and, um, and concern, uh, quite honestly, made, made me want to work even harder. It made me appreciate the business, made me appreciate them uh, even more. And I know I've thanked them for it uh, time and time again, but uh, that was a defining moment for me because um, there's a lot of you know, traditional sales jobs or companies where if that were the case, it would have been a, would have been a, a much different conversation or maybe a, a more callous conversation. And the compassion they showed me um, really, um, really stuck with me. And so when I came back, I came back with a vengeance because I remember when, uh, you know, the year before he had passed away, when everything changed with my dad, he, he always told me that, um, you know, it never worked for anybody else but yourself because, you know, you always have more job security when you're working for yourself than when you're trying to work for somebody else. And, and that really, I guess, just ingrained in me the, the importance of being an entrepreneur and the importance of going out and staking my own claim. And, um, and I wanted to honor him ever, ever since that moment. And, um, and I saw that with Vector. I saw the, the opposite with, with what he dealt with. He worked for a bank for 15 years when I considered one of the most at the time stable and consistent jobs you could do, nine to five, Monday through Friday. And uh, because he made sacrifices to spend time with the family and to do other things, um, you know, he maybe didn't get the promotions that he was hoping to get. And so he ended up after 15 years having to take another job with, or the same job with a different bank and move away from the family that he had made sacrifices for, for, you know, 15 years. And so 
when he made that comment to me, I decided at that moment that, you know, I wasn't going to be a doctor anymore. I didn't want to be a doctor. Um, I wanted to, wanted to run my own company. I wanted to be a business owner because I saw the life that Larry had. I saw that, you know, as a business owner, I was able to spend time with my family. I was able to coach him in sports. I was able to be there for important dinners and birthdays. And, and, um, and so that kind of changed and pivoted my career uh, choice at that moment. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. What an awesome story and awesome example. Just the idea of, uh, you know, your dad telling you never work for anybody else because your greatest security is when you're in charge, when you're working for yourself. And I think that's an important lesson for a lot of our young entrepreneurs in or out of Vector to hear is that uh, your greatest security really comes from your own ability to produce, to create something and to be able to have a vision and bring that vision into reality. Like that's where the greatest opportunities and rewards come for all of us versus helping somebody else achieve their vision because you're working for somebody else. That's a profound concept. And it's cool to hear that that was the impetus for you to become a district manager after college. It was definitely up there. Working with, working with Larry and having fun and working with Matt and you know, appreciating the grind, the two of those things, uh, the fun and the grind combined, I just, I love it. So it, um, it, you know, had a lot of other choices out of college. I interviewed with eight different companies and all eight of them invited me back in for second interviews. Some of them were in uh, banking, some of them were in uh, consulting, some of them were in, um, you know, commercial real estate. And um, ultimately I chose here predominantly because of the people, uh, because of uh, the friends that I had, the mentorship that I had, the, obviously the leadership we had at our region headquarters with uh, Amar today at the time and Scott Dennis, um, you know, just uh, couldn't see myself leaving uh, that crew. It was, uh, we had too much fun and we were making great money doing it and we still continue to do both of those things. So yeah, you guys to this day have an amazing crew there in the Eastern region. Now you moved up very quickly as a manager, as I stated in your yeah. intro, you were promoted to district manager in uh, May of 2005. And then in August of 06, you moved you know, down to Georgia to take over a uh, Georgia division, right? So yeah. tell yeah, us about that path. Yeah, it was crazy. So I, when I got promoted, I actually got promoted into an Atlanta market as a okay. district. Um, but it was one of those things where I didn't know anything about Atlanta. Um, I'd never never been there um, other than just to pass through for the Olympics in 96. So literally uprooted my whole life, moved down, um, started the ground, you know, just hit it running. And, you know, I didn't know a lot of things, but I knew that if I, you know, believed and cared about my people and um, I worked with a lot of people and I took care of a lot of people and helped a lot of people get what they wanted, then, you know, I would probably get what I wanted in the process. And so, you know, my, uh, the path that I've always seen to development and advancement within our company is big recruiting and, um, you know, big development. And if you get those two things happening, usually the, the sales report tends to go with it. So, you know, if you help enough people get what they want, usually it, it ends up serving you pretty well too. Yeah, indeed. You know, I've heard that we get paid for solving problems. And when you can solve problems for more people, that's where you have more opportunity for earning and for advancement and, and all those things. And, you know, as a recruiter, we solve a problem for people. We give people an opportunity to have a place where they can earn, where they can learn, where they can connect with others and have fun. All those things that we've gotten out of Vector and uh, your ability to do that for a larger group of people is what helped you to advance and move up so quickly. So. Yeah, awesome. I, mean, I think that really the thing I love the most about Vector is that, um, you know, we really meet people where they're at and we kind of uh, help them get from where they're at to where they want to be. And, um, and you know, we, we take, you know, we have all different types. I mean, everybody's got their own story. Everybody's, 
got their heartbreaks. Everybody's got their, you know, exaltations. And uh, it's funny, you know, they may be different than yours, but they all have them. And, um, and if, you know, we accept people for, you know, who they are and help them to get to where they want to be and for who they can become, um, you know, more often than not, they fulfill our expectations of them, which is greatness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you've become such a great recruiter. I, I would love to get into your head a little bit on why. What has made you such a great recruiter in this business? I've always been fascinated with building. Um, and, you know, whether it be playing sports growing up, I was always fascinated with, you know, how some of the, the assistant coaches for great teams got got their talent that, uh, that they built their organizations with, whether it be, you know, the stories of coaches going and, you know, meeting the families or people flying in and in a helicopter landing onto a practice field to meet with uh, prospective talent or handwritten notes to, to, uh, to parents, uh, you know, for their birthdays or even, or even just the simple nature of playing video games and playing the, the building games like Age of Empires, which I know is probably an old school game for many of our listeners, viewers, but um, I always loved that concept of just building an, a, you know, an army or building a village or building a, an empire to, to be able to, to take over and to be united for a common goal. And um, I witnessed it playing basketball growing up. I you know, played basketball for Chris Paul's dad, uh, Coach Paul. And, um, and I, I witnessed the great AAU teams that uh, Coach was able to put together and just grabbing the different pieces and the talent and putting them together toward and uniting them towards a common goal. Uh, he would actually take high school uh, rivals and, uh, and put them on the same team and unite them. Uh, and they ended up winning a national AAU championship, uh, you, know, you know, the year that uh, I think under 15 was what the year was. And so he was my JV basketball coach my freshman year. And then um, when I later moved up to varsity, I had another great coach. But uh, the thing I noticed about both of them is they were just, they were great recruiters. They were great at putting together these amazing teams and, and putting them into place. And so I think part of that was, was what dr- drives me. You know, I just, I love, I love helping people. I mean, I, I told you I wanted to be a, a doctor when I first got out of, when I first went to college, that was what I thought I wanted to do. And the reason I wanted to do it is I wanted to help people. I wanted to impact people. And um, as I got, uh, I think, again, going back to the whole dad thing, when my dad was 48, when he passed. And so, you know, for me, I, it was kind of a, a hot poker of truth there that, you know what, if I'm in, if I'm in school till I'm 32 and God forbid things happen to me at that age, I won't be able to do all the things that I want to do. And so I need to mm. find a different way to help people uh, and be able to get what I want uh, sooner, just in case. And, and so that kind of drove me to that. And, and, and I just feel like um, maybe because of what I believe Vector has done for me and how I kind of grew up with the company as my second father figure, um, I you know want to provide that to as many people as humanly possible. And, you know, obviously, I know we're not just going to work with anybody, but we want to work with as many of the right types of people as possible. And I firmly believe that uh, us in the military are the two greatest developers of leaders uh, out there in today's uh, society. And I like to think that working for Vector is a lot less committal than signing up for the, the military. So, <laughs> Indeed, for sure. What you talked about, you know, offering the opportunity to people. Tell us a little bit about your mindset around doing that, being able to offer the opportunity to people without a whole lot of prejudging. Like, what's your mindset around being able to give people the opportunity to work here? Yeah. So, I mean, like, as I mentioned, we, you know, Vector is not for everyone. And, and so we don't just work with anybody, but, but we do want to work with the right types of people. And, and so the big, the two biggest skills that I try to look for are, uh, commitment and work ethic, right? Loyalty and work ethic. Those are the things that when I look to promote somebody to be 
an assistant manager, I tell them, I said, look, the two things I can't teach are loyalty and work ethic. Everything else is teachable. Everything else we can work with, you know? And, um, <clears throat> and we've had, you know, you know, people that are grinders and are hard workers, they're athletes for maybe the, you know, the zip codally challenged parts of our territory that because they have that work ethic, because they're a grinder, you know, we pour together with them and we're able to really help them and coach them and mentor them, uh, which is big. So, you know, that's kind of what we look for. We look for people that are, again, hard, you know, hard workers and we look for people that have loyalty and, uh, and determination. Yeah, those qualities are certainly more attitudinal than anything else. And I always viewed attitude as being the key determinant of whether we wanted to have somebody on the team. If somebody really liked Cutco and really liked what we were offering here, had enthusiasm for the product, and they seemed like they were somebody who was going to be committed and put their best effort and work hard, they were willing to work, right? They expressed that. Those are people who we want to give a chance to be able to work. I always felt like it was important to err in people's favor. In other words, right? If in doubt, we give people a chance because we really believe in what we have to offer them and we want to make sure that we are helping as many people as possible. As you said, you know, recruiting is about helping people. And so I think that's an important mentality or philosophy that it seems like you and I uh, agree on for the most part. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if, and when you make a commitment to somebody, I mean, that's part of it is, how willing are you able to go? Are you able to go the full 100% commitment to their success? And, and that's really what we, uh, we, what we tell people. We tell them that in training, that whenever we train somebody, we give them our everything um, in order to make sure that um, they're successful. Obviously, so long as you know, they meet us there with it, then they're going to be able to be successful as well. Yeah, and I think when you promote that as part of the vision that you know, what you're trying to establish is a relationship where somebody is as committed to you as you are to them, there are going to be some people who sort of tell you what you want to hear. But then after the fact, they kind of think about like, oh man, you know, this person really expects a lot from me. And maybe those are the people that don't end up showing up, that don't end up coming. But the ones who do understand what's expected of them. And so they're ready to put in that commitment. And that enables you to build that relationship right from the start with them in a way that, you know, is congruent. When your people know that you've got their back and you have their best interests in mind, they'll run through walls for you. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about some of the tactics that you use for recruiting. Like I was looking at some statistics the other day and you have had the lion's share of the biggest recruiting summers in the history of the company. Like if you look at the top, maybe 15, I think six of them are your office in the history of the company. And um, tell us about some of the things that you do to make that happen. I think it boils down to, you know, if you want to have a big army, you got to have a big army staff and support. And and so, you know, I, I like to think that, you know, in order to have a massive organization, you got to, you got to have, you know, similar to a military, you got to have generals, you got to have lieutenants, people that are there with you um, to help you support them. And so, you know, we, we look to develop people in, in an early stage, give them opportunities to shine and, and step up. And then we work with our key leaders to, uh, to help, you know, replicate and duplicate our organization so that it, is, uh, is really made up of, of, of our own doing, of, of who we want it to be with. And, um, and what I found is that you're naturally going to attract people that are like you anyway. So um, when, you, when you build a team of assistant managers and you build a team of, of uh, you know, recruiting assistants or receptionists, you know, you're going to naturally build uh, an organization with a bunch of people like them. And, and they come from all different walks of life, but they have People that are just like them, you'll see little mini me's that are on the team with them that just look, work, act, and talk, and work just like they do. And 
uh, and it makes it a lot of fun. And so, you know, we, we talk about loyalty and work ethic on our staff. We also, you know, talk about making it fun. So we're always uh, in an effort to make it fun doing different contests and uh, culture building activities as a staff so that people want to be a part of it. And then when they do that, they want to help you build. You know, they, they just naturally talk about the job to people. They naturally uh, exude excitement about it on their social media accounts. They naturally uh, want people to be a part of it because it's a good thing. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you've got just that exciting culture of a sports team or an exciting uh, dynamic, if it's a fraternity or a sorority where, you know, people just want to be a part of what's what's going on because of the fun they see the people have and the success they see people having. And, and so that's what we, uh, that's what we do. And so whether it, you know, over the years, it's been different forms of advertising, right? It used to be, you know, business carding or going on campuses and, you know, running tables and giving guest lectures with DECA uh, moderators. It used to be, you know, sending out a bunch of mailers. It used to be advertising in newspapers, but uh, now the the big thrust of course is, uh, is getting meeting people where they're at. So we're on social media and, uh, we're putting out the word of, you know, being able to have an awesome job, have, have it be flexible and teach amazing skills in the process. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about this idea of how you leverage social media and how you leverage the influence of your current team members to build something bigger. Because it does make a whole lot of sense that to build the kind of big teams that you've built, it starts with having a staff that's pretty big in number. It's having a diverse staff that has different people people can connect to. But you definitely get all those people involved in you know, helping spread the word through social we media. Do. And, and there, was, there was a quote actually from one of your managers, Carl Gedris. He probably, um, he'll, hopefully he's listening, but hope he's doing well. But, um, but I remember Carl had a quote. He said it, and it probably came from you. But he said, um, if you want to be the leader of many, you got to be faithful and loyal when the numbers are small. And, and that really stuck with me. And, um, and in order to build a large organization, you, you really gotta, you gotta start at the grassroots levels when things are just getting started and things are small and, and really pour into them and give them opportunities to shine because you know, that's how you can manage a larger organization, right? That's how you have more people is you're, you're taking care of people uh, from the very, very beginning. You're not just trying to get a bunch of people in front of you. I mean, it's, I think that's a misconception that people have about what it means to be a great recruiter. That's that's bullshit. I mean, being a great recruiter is taking care of a lot of people. And and so, you know, you know, when somebody recruits a, a, a high school athlete to go play, you know, college basketball for Chapel Hill or for another great uh, university, not named Duke, but anybody other than them, um, you know, when they when they recruit them, they make a promise. They make a promise to their parents. They make a promise to the the, the student. They say. You come work. You come play with us, and we're going to set you up for for life. And and that's the same type of commitment that that we make to our team is that you come work with us when you're in school, and you're going to be set for life. You know, and whether it's with us or with somebody else, but we make a commitment to them. And so um, we got to be you got to be uh, you know again uh, consider the fact that to, to have a large organization, you got to be very 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 faithful uh, when the numbers are small. You got to be willing to uh, make that promise and commitment to them. So. Yeah, that's a Jim Rohnism, by okay. the way. So Jim both Rohn. Carl and I got that from uh, Jim Rohn. I'm glad to hear that Carl was extolling the words of Jim Rohn to others. So that's awesome. But uh, I just love that point that you made about being faithful when the numbers are small. It just speaks to the fact that building an empire is a process. Yeah. It's not something that just happens automatically because you go to a territory that has a lot of people in it. 
right? It's a process. One of my favorite quotes on that is, you know, be rigid with your standards, but be flexible with the time it takes you to get there. Mm -hmm. You know, so don't give up on your goals. Don't give up on what you're building, your vision, but be flexible on on how long it takes you to get there, right? I think that's good for relationships too. You know, don't, don't, uh, you know, maybe you're not happy with, uh, you know, one of your, uh, your husband's or wife's, uh, you know, you know, bad habits, right? Maybe they, they leak, like leak to leave dishes out, right? And uh, Caitlin will be the first to tell you, she never lets me get away with it, but she is flexible and, uh, and willing to give me time to eventually come around to the right way of operating, which is put your damn dirty dishes away when you're done, done with them. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's just a good, I think, reminder for relationships in general. Don't, don't yield on your, uh, your standards or your vision, but be flexible with the time you allow it to take place to get there. Yeah. That's just a great point because, you know, we've got new managers that start their businesses every summer and we've got more than ever, you know, happening this summer, which is pretty crazy. And for all of them, they want to build the kind of thing that you've built. They want to build the lifestyle you've built, the business that you've built, right? They want what you have, Trey. And for people to understand that that's a process that starts out when the numbers are small with creating the right environment for the initial people that you have that makes them feel like they're being taken care of, they're being developed, makes them want to have other people come around. Like that's what gets people to actually enroll in building the team with you. What are some of the ways that you have people use their social media specifically to spread the word about what we have? Um, I mean, we obviously give them some content, but um, I mean, we'll have simple posts and stuff. And I see a lot of people do that, right? I mean, they did the, they do the videos and they do the, you know, the cool graphics and stuff. Um, we're not real tech savvy, but what I will say works great is when people are being themselves and being authentic. And so some of the most effective posts that we have right now are just people taking pictures of what they're doing, right? So they may be, they're maybe working from home, sitting at their desk and drinking a cup of coffee, you know, looking at the sun and, you know, that's how they're working. So they take a picture of that be like appreciative of the fact that I can get paid to work from home or, you know, they might be, uh, you know, you know, working while on vacation. I know one of our uh, SMRAs was on vacation in Hawaii and, you know, she got a little bit of work done while she was out there and she took a picture of her view and said, uh, office views today, you know, hit me up if you, uh, if you want to have an opportunity to work like this, you know, I mean, it's just, it's people living their authentic lives and just sharing that with sincerity and excitement. And, uh, cause people can tell, people can tell if it's a, you know, kind of a fishy thing. I mean, I, I get it. Things, some things do look too good to be true, but if they are true and they are good, then then ultimately it it ends up being a, a good fit for a lot of people. So uh, we want people promoting authenticity. So real paychecks, right? What they got and how long it took them to make it. We like people putting that up. We like people, you know, promoting uh, the fun environment for our team meetings. So like right now we're doing Zoom for our team meetings and we're having actually a lot of fun. People are getting a lot of work done. They're being productive and we're, uh, we're having different fun themes. They're taking pictures of them and their team and they're putting it out. Uh, we're recognizing our performers and tagging them and sending, sending them love so that they're being built up and their friends are seeing that. And um, I think in, the, in an era of a lot of negativity and kind of finger pointing, it's nice to see some positives are being spread on social media. And the fact that there are some people that, yeah, maybe, maybe the quarantine hasn't been fun, but, but we're having fun uh, during it. So, yeah. Awesome. And, and we're cool. being successful. We're making money. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that we were up uh, 300% versus a year ago as an organization uh, last week. Yeah, it, it is pretty amazing. And that's a great segue into talking about what's happening right now because we are in a really unique position as a company this summer. 
in that uh, we have you know virtually unlimited opportunities to be able to help people earn some income during this time and keep themselves busy and keep learning and moving forward and to move past this uh, sort of stagnation that a lot of people I think feel stuck in. I'd love to hear your perspective on the position that we're in with the chance to help so many others this summer. Yeah, I, I mean, I think about our company and what we provide for people. It, it, we're just doing more of the same, just in a different way, right? And you know, the reason why I love the job, I think a lot of people love the job when they were young, is good income, it's fun environment, it's good resume experience, and and it's flexible. And uh, I think all of that has just been kind of put on turbo boost with what we're doing right now. I mean, I, you know, we have a product line that quite honestly, everybody is using more than ever. Uh, Caitlin and I have cooked more in the last two weeks than the two months prior probably combined. Um, people are home more than ever. So, you know, our customers are, are using their products and they're more available than they ever have been. Um, so the opportunity for money is greater than it's ever been. Um, from a flexibility standpoint, I mean, I just can't think of What's more flexible than being able to get work done right from some, right from your room uh, and being able to work around classes or other things going on? I mean, there's a lot of other, it's unfortunate, but there's a lot of other uh, traditional work options that just aren't available right now for young professionals and, and quite honestly, might not ever become available in the same capacity uh, that they once were. And, and so that's, that's something that we provide is that flexibility, ability to do that. And, uh, and then really, the, I think the biggest thing is just the, the skills for the future. I mean, we're, I was talk, talking to one of my buddies who's a top sales executive for software sales. And, and uh, he was reaching out. He's like, how, how in the world is the knife business doing? And I said, it's pretty damn good. And um, he's like, yeah, I was just thinking about that. He's like, we've been using our Cutco uh, every night. You know, it's crazy how good it is. And I said, it is. I said, by the way, uh, we're training a lot of good people. And, you know, they're going to be badasses by the time they get out of college. And so they're going to be better software sales, medical device sales. And, pharmaceutical sales reps and insurance financial sales reps. I mean, they're going to be the best of the best. They're, they're learning how to network and do uh, business the way that the future is going to do business. And we're, we're teaching them and equipping them with things that they're going to need now. Um, and they're learning it uh, very quickly. And he's like, yeah, they're going to get, and then he texted back. He said, you forgot to say they're going to be really rich too. when they, <laughs> once they get out of school, because you know, if they can figure this out while they're in school, I'm dealing with people that are 40 and 50 and 60 years old that just can't figure it out. So uh, they're going to be the, the future uh, swashbucklers of, uh, of corporate America. Indeed. Indeed. Whenever somebody asks me, you know, how's the knife biz? There's always like a double take that happens for me right when that question comes out, because you, you understand this, like we don't really think of ourselves as being in the knife business, right? right. We think of ourselves as being in the people development business and the Cutco Knives just happen to be the vehicle we use to be able to teach people about selling and goal setting and time management and work ethic and connecting with others and really life, right? Yeah. That's our vehicle. But we have a chance this summer, as you said, to provide more of what we've always been providing, but in a new, unique and different way, a way that is more scalable, yeah. right? A way yeah. that, as you said, is sort of a turbo boost, right? Obviously, most of the people listening to this podcast probably sold Cutco at some point in time. And when we sold Cutco, we all really believed in the product. It's a big part of why any of us took this job is we really believed in the product. And we had the mentality that we're going to show Cutco to as many people as we can. And some people are going to buy and some people won't. And those who buy, some will buy a little and some will buy a lot. It's sort of how we view 
the process when we're selling Cutco. Well, as vector managers or anybody who's building something that you really believe in, Mm -hmm. I think the philosophies are very similar, right? We have a great product. You have a great product that you're offering. For us, it's the vector opportunity. It's a great product. And we want to offer that opportunity to as many people as we can. Some will buy and some won't, right? Some come to training and launch and others, you know, think it's a scam or something ridiculous and they go do something else and that's fine. And then of the people who buy, who start with us, some benefit more than others. Some will work with us for a few days, realize maybe they don't, it's not what they want to do or it's too hard and they move on, but they gained a little bit of something and others end up staying here for ever and ever, you know, like you and I have and really getting the most from their experience. And so we have something so great to offer and there's so many great reasons why this summer is going to be greater than ever. As you said, people are using Cutco a whole lot more. I echo that exact sentiment. It's like, I'm thinking about it a whole lot more, like how great what we sell really is every time I'm using it in the house, right? And people are home more. So availability is up. It's going to be easier for our reps to get appointments, right? That the flexibility that's offered from this job, which is a huge reason why I took the job, is enhanced, right? Double or triple what it was in the past. It's unreal. And And what I love about it is we're getting uniformity with our presentation. I mean, it's just, you know, whether it ends up being in a kitchen or done online, I mean, it is is a a one appointment. That is how you do it. Super simple. It's up to times with the, you know, with uh, using technology as well. So it's, we've probably grown more with our presentation skills in the last uh, couple of uh, weeks than we had in the years prior for when it comes to presenting virtually or online. And it's it's been kind of cool. Yeah. And as you said, this is the future of work, right? This is the way that a lot of things are going to be done or more things will be done this way five years from now or 10 years from now than they are today. And so for a lot of the young people working in Cutco, they're learning skills that are going to be directly relevant to what they do down the road in terms of being able to use technology in this manner to connect with others, to influence others, and to spread you know, whatever it is that they're doing to other people. So very positive concept there as well, just that this is really the future of work. Mm -hmm. I think that the idea that we are providing an answer for people when there's not a whole lot of other answers out there is really an important thing that I wanted to make sure was mentioned here because when this whole situation started brewing, the first reaction probably of most people was, oh, this is not going to be a big deal, like, you know, whatever. Right. And then that was quickly shattered as you know states started locking down their population, telling people stay at home and businesses were closed. And I think at that point, a lot of people started panicking. What am I going to do? And Vector quickly innovated and pivoted and figured out how we're going to navigate this. And within a two, three, four week period of time, we kind of had it all figured out. And now we're exploding, as you said, with huge increases in sales and moving forward very quickly. Whereas for most people, that's not happened, right? For most people, their work has been largely slowed down or in some cases decimated. And that there's a lot of people out there who are worried about what they're going to do. And Vector provides people and can provide people this summer with an outlet so that they don't have to feel anxiety. They can put energy into something. They can be connected to other people and have that team feel. And I just feel like we're in such a great position to help so many people. Yeah. I mean, it's pure entrepreneurship at its finest, right? I mean, it's, you know, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you you know, I think I read a quote somewhere where it's like, you know, an entrepreneur is somebody who gets thrown out of a plane and they, they build a parachute on the way down, you know, or, you mm-hmm. know, and it's kind of like they figure out a way to make it happen. And when the, 
when the why is strong enough and the, you know, the how tends to figure itself out. And, um, and, and you're right. I mean, when, when everything went kind of, uh, crazy and chaotic, it seems like once a decade, it's, there's something that just causes the world to pause. And, uh, 2001, it was, you know, right after I, it's kind of crazy. It's my, my career has kind of been launched by some of these adverse times, right? 2001, I finished, uh, you know, training. And then a couple months later, we had 9-11 happen. Twin Towers you know, shook the world. And then, mm. you know, a couple of, uh, a couple of years, you know, I guess almost a decade later, we had the Great Recession, you know, and, you know, the collapse of the economy and then the housing you know, market and all that. And that led to uh, an opportunity for us to really be leaders, great, great leaders and great recruiters again, to provide a, a, a great opportunity and a, an experiential opportunity for people to, to work on their skills. And this might be that great decade, you know, and I don't know if you remember the movie Point Break, but you know they have that uh, that that the perfect storm that comes along every once in a while, and you know you got to be ready to to run out into it with your surfboard and uh, and hop on it and ride the wave. And um, it's kind of intimidating and scary to do, but it's a hell of a rush, and it's fun to it's fun to get out there and get after it. It's one of the reasons I love jujitsu. It's one of the reasons I love uh, Muay Thai. Is that I mean you're putting yourself into uncertainty and fear and and what you end up finding is the the, the nervousness and the uh, I guess the anxiety of the anticipation of how what's going to happen is always a lot less than what reality takes takes place. And so if you throw yourself out there and you know go to you know try to uh, get the job done, what you'll end up finding is it usually ends up going a lot better than you thought it was. And fear tends to uh, make wimps of us all. But I mean, if you uh, you can push past it and act more like a buffalo than a cow and run towards the storm, you tend to find a lot of good stuff there. So Yeah, we got the 50-year storm. Yeah, 50-year <laughs> storm. That's what it was. Yeah. Yep. You referenced, uh, you know, when the why is strong enough, uh, you know, the how reveals itself. As we wind this down here, Trey, what are some of your whys for being a, a great recruiter, for being a vector manager? I think my biggest why is I want to be a great, a great mentor. I mean, I, I think, you know, I had, I've had great mentors in our business and you know, my greatest mentor was, was, was my dad. And, you know, I just remember what he did uh, for me. And, you know, I, I always tell people, cause some people ask, they say, what was it like losing your dad at 19? And I said, well, you know, quite honestly, I'd rather have an amazing father for 19 than a shithead for, for 50. And, um, and I had, a, I had a great father and, um, I learned a lot of valuable lessons from him and my mom. My mom is a grinder. She works third shift, um, as a pharmacist, she's done so for 40 something years. She's, in the midst of everything going on, works at Medical University of South Carolina and is, you know, had to work the same number of hours with a pay cut. Um, but, but in order to, to help and to get back and uh, she's doing it without any complaining and she's, you know, a saint for that. But I've, I've learned my work ethic from her and um, my ability to connect and care for people from my dad. And my mom cares for people too. She loves people, but it's just, you know, if I had to, to say like, what did I learn? You know, I guess ability to read people and uh, care about people from my dad and, um, you know, my work ethic and, uh, and just drive for my mom. And, you know, the two, the two of those were great mentors and I've had great mentors in our business. So my biggest why is I just want to be a great, I want to be a great leader. I want to be a great father. I want to be a great husband. You know, I want to be a great manager. Um, and, you know, I, I think if, uh, you know, if you take the, our divisional slogan of no excuses, play like a champion, you know, don't make excuses for what we do. Just strive to be excellent. You know, my, my mom always says, you know, life's, Life's not easy, is it? But um, but what I found is that when you're hard on yourself, life tends to be a little bit easier on you. So when you're easier on yourself, 
life tends to be hard on you. So I guess my biggest why is to be a great leader and a great mentor and then uh, provide the example of, of that to the people I interact with, people I work with. Um, and the other reason that, um, that, I, that I'm here is I just am having a lot of fun doing it. So, you know, no reason to leave. That's awesome. Well, that's great to hear, Trey. And, you know, I can definitely say that uh, you are continuing to evolve and grow as that great leader that you're admired by many throughout the company. I think everyone's kind of looking to you to see like what's going to happen this summer because it's going to be, be really, really exciting, you know, as the guy that's been the leader in recruiting and we're about to head into a summer where we're expecting to have potentially triple digit increases in that side of our business. Uh, who knows how far people like you will take it. And it's going to be awesome to see. And I'm just grateful for the leadership example that you set for our entire company and um, for the sharing that you do of all of the things that have made you great and for what you've shared here today. So thanks so much for your time on the podcast, Trey. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Awesome. Trey Ketchum, everyone. Cool to hear the story of his path, his career, his life. Obviously, losing his dad at age 19, transformational experience in Trey's life. And that uh, his dad had imparted upon him the wisdom of working for yourself, being in business for yourself, being able to rely on your own self for your own security. And that was motivating to Trey. Trey said he loves building things, right? Building an army, building a village, building an empire, fascinated by people who are builders, sports recruiters, etc. And that he loves helping people. And these were some of his key motivations. And um, he said something along the lines of, right, we meet people where they are, and then we help take them to where they want to be. And somebody who is a great recruiter really views themselves as being of service to as many other people as possible. That's what a great recruiter thinks about as they're building something great. How can I be of service to as many other people as possible? He mentioned that commitment, work ethic, right? These sort of attitudinal aspects are key things that he would look at in determining who he wants on his team, that everything else is teachable. And I thought that was a a really powerful insight to consider. Of course, to build something big, it's important to have the collaboration of lots of others, having a big staff to be able to work with, having a diverse staff that enables different types of people to connect with different leaders on the team. Those were some ideas that came out. And of course, Trey quoted Jim Rohn, the idea that he got from vector legend Carl Gedris about, you know, if you want to be leader over many, you got to be faithful when the numbers are small. And there's a process involved in building something as big as what Trey has done. And that process starts with whatever you have now and whoever you have now and whatever you're doing today being important and bringing your A game, your best energy to everything that you do is the key to being able to have more and do more in your life. That was powerful. The idea that this summer is going to be really exciting in Vector and that we are uniquely positioned to be able to bring this opportunity bring an opportunity to a lot of people at a time when they need it. That was also a key insight that we had talked about, that we are teaching young people about the future of work and just that there's so much opportunity in front of us that we have a chance to capitalize on. And it all starts with that 
mentality of the recruiter wanting to help others, wanting to be of service to as many other people as possible, believing you have a great product to sell in whatever it is that you're building, whether you're building a vector office or you're building your own company outside of vector, whatever it is you're doing, whatever teams you're building, that you have something great for other people to be able to take advantage of. You want them to take advantage of it. You're going to make your best effort that they will. Some will buy, some will not. Some will benefit more than others. But as long as we keep developing our skills, working on the things that we're doing, really striving to be of service to other people, we can all build great things. And so that's your challenge for today is to go out and build something great. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.